Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And good afternoon and you're very welcome to your late lunch. This is Barbara Scully here and I'm with you all week uh, covering for Jerry Kelly, trying to fill not only his big boots, but also to follow on from the wonderful Orla Carmody, who was minding the shop last week. So, alleluia, it has finally stopped raining. It's unbelievable, really, that we went from the balmy, tropical, sunny, sunny weather we'd had with temperatures up in the mid to high 20s to deep winter with biblical rain and temperatures down to 13 degrees in the space of a few days. I'm really sh- not sure that's very good for us going straight from summer into winter, bypassing autumn altogether. My poor dog hadn't had um, a walk for, for days and then last evening we decided to get out. We'd both been suffering from cabin fever and it stopped raining um, and we had an almost magical walk through our local park. I mean, it was grey and everything was dripping. There were puddles everywhere. The river was full and it was rushing along at high speeds and there were birds everywhere and best of all, there was no people. It was like we had the world to ourselves. There was something really beautiful about it. But anyway, today the sun and the sky have returned so although the temperatures are kind of more back to normal values, let's hope. Uh, Certainly the blue skies stay for a little while. Other than the weather, the other big thing over the weekend was the return of the Late Late Show with its new host, Patrick Keelty. That alone would have been big news on, on itself. But with all of the RTE controversies that have been raging over the last few months, it took on an even bigger importance. So I want to know, did you watch? What did you think? How did you think Patrick Keelty did? Will you be watching every week? Do let me know. You can get in touch with us about that or anything else on the programme that you want to comment on by sending either a text or a WhatsApp message to 086 1800 658. So as usual, we've got a great and varied show lined up for you today. So stay Stay with us here on LMFM for the afternoon and let us entertain your ears. And what better way to start than with my first guest, columnist, deep thinker, MC and presenter and friend and regular here on LMFM, Sarah Carey. How are you? I'm very well, Barbara. Good afternoon to you. And yeah, the rain stopped here in Enfield where I am as well. And I got out on the bike for an hour this morning. So hallelujah. Good. May it continue to rain at night and not during the day. And then we'd all be fine. <laughs> this is very, very true. Good, Very true. Listen, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about, Sarah. So, um, but the first thing I want to talk to you about is your column, um, on Saturday just gone in the Irish Independent you were writing about the Gardaí and the vote of no confidence in the Commissioner Mm. Drew Harris Um, so I'm really interested uh, to get your take on this do you think it's fair to say that he was never a popular choice among the rank and file for Commissioner? Never no because he was an outsider but when you think about you know all the issues that have been going on with Angarda Shia for the last 10 years you know and lack policing lack of discipline 
you know, I really think it had to be an outsider that would come in and and obviously they weren't going to like it, you know, and he would do things differently. But that didn't necessarily mean he was going to do them badly. So, and I know there are a lot of issues going on within Gardaí This particular row is about rosters. Okay. So during COVID, um, uh, they were put on these rosters where they were working four days on, four days off. And he's trying to go back to the old rosters of six days in a row and then four days off. I know there are lots of other things going on. They're uh, reorganizing the units and things like that. But to have a vote like that where, what, 98% of mm-hmm. them, you know, voted no confidence in him was really, really shocking. And I think it's vital that Helen McEntee is doing what she should do, which is they are standing firmly with the commissioner and making it clear that, you know, it's uh, as far as the Gardaí is concerned, it's not a democracy. They don't get to vote on who their leader is. That's exactly what I was going to ask, because it was only afterwards when I was reading your piece and I was thinking, what organisations get to vote like that? You know, confidence or no confidence in their leaders. I thought that was only something that happened in politics. Yeah. And you see, I think it goes back to, you know, there has been rising, I don't like to use the word militancy, but let's say anger, you know, within the rank and file in the Garda Shikana going back to 2016. Mm. And they threatened the blue flu then. Um, And the government of the day were very, very anxious because the recovery was just kicking in after the uh, bailout. And they were very concerned of what it might look like if Gardaí started marching on the street. Mm. Like, we had done so much to distinguish Ireland from other countries that had poor financial crises, like Greece, Mm. uh, you know, where there were riots and cars burning in the street. And we were very, very anxious to explain to international investors, no, this is Ireland, we're different. Uh, We've taken the medicine, we're getting things back on track, and we are a stable country that it's okay for you to put your money into. So at that point, they gave in to some of the demands of the Gardaí. And, you know, maybe it's given them a sense that if they kick up again, if they threaten industrial action, then they'll get what they want. But we're in a different place now. And the hope is that the government will stand up to them. Now, like I say, I know there are some problems that they could sort out. So, for example, Gardaí are very angry by the fact that they can arrest someone and it ends up in court and the person could be back on the street, you know, within a few hours or crazy legal systems where they have to keep showing up to court repeatedly for cases that are adjourned. Like, I do think that there are issues outside of the roster where we could reform and make it easier for them to do their jobs. And Mm. then if they felt that they were actually able to do their jobs constructively, Mm. you know, then issues like the rostering might not be as inflammatory as they are. It does sound like there's a whole heap of work, though, that's going to have to be done. And I'm just wondering, how does Drew Harris, (coughs) excuse me, and even um, the minister, how do they continue against a vote of 98%? I mean, it was so enormous, yeah, so well, the first thing is they make clear that it is absolutely not going to affect the position of mm. the commissioner. You know, they just make clear that's absolutely non-negotiable, which they have done, you know, mm. and uh, she, uh, she and Pascal Donoghue and other members of the cabinet have been absolutely clear on that. Um, and so then they bring them into the industrial relations mechanism, which traditionally the Guardi didn't have before the workplace commissions. But what I would do is try and focus on those other issues but make it clear that the rostering is going to have to be implemented. You know, yeah. it just is. But now that could get very inflammatory when you go up against one big hard issue like that. And when you have a level of militancy there with that vote, do you end up with some kind of strike? Like it really is very serious. It is very so serious. Would, yeah. yeah so it is I very think serious. That, 
it is really serious. Like when you think about it, like what mm. are they going to do? They're going to strike and down tools. And I mean, so, he can't hope, Drew Harris can't hope to bring in any kind of reforms when he has that level of opposition is as a starting place. Like surely the first thing he has to do is in some way give, maybe not on rosters, but in some way do something very quickly that can be seen as a positive that might start yeah. winning back some of the hearts and minds of those that 98%. Yeah, give them something else. Yeah, you know, and and it's to find that something else which you could give on that would allow then the roster issue to go ahead. Mm. So these things are not easy, yeah. and um, and but the workplace relations commission is kind of good at this stuff. But I was making the point in the column on Saturday that some of the issues the workplace relations commission can do nothing about, like mm. legal reform. I mean, why do we still have that rule that the arresting guardy has to turn up? Every single time the court case is on, hang around for hours. You know, people are always complaining about there are no guardian on the beat in Dublin. If they go up to the criminal courts at the gates to the Phoenix Park, that's where all the guardy are. They're all you know, it's around. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, let's change that. And, Just, uh, but you know what it's like trying to reform the legal system in this country? You know, you come up against vested interests in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. It suits them to have this kind of system. Mm-hmm. And if, if Helen McEntee took them on, you know, maybe that's something that might help. Wow. Um, can I just ask you one more question on this? I was interested to hear that Alison O'Connor's take on the journalist Alison O'Connor, and she felt there might be a sectarian element to the uh, lack of support for Drew Harris. Do you put any I, weight on I that? I saw that. So I think she, uh, I didn't read the whole piece, but she mentioned the fact that he was the president. I mm. think it's more a fact, you know, Northern Ireland, outsider, that sense yeah. of the other, the foreigner, I definitely think there's an issue about that. There's also an issue about... Now, you don't have time today to go into the role that Drew Harris played in the Smithick Tribunal. Good Lord. And just very, very briefly, the Smithick Tribunal was an investigation into guard collusion at the uh, police station in Dundalk, where members of the RU... Yeah. And uh, Drew Harris ended up being a witness in that. And... There were a lot of Gardaí who were very, very angry mm. at the role that he played in the intelligence that he provided secretly to the judge in that case. I understand. And there may be some lingering resentment about that. So, but I think generally it is more this sense of the Nordy coming down, telling them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't rule that out at all. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, if I was the Justice Minister, I am looking at this, and as you say, it's huge and it's important and it's serious. <laughs> And you don't want to give in to the Gardaí, but it would seem that if you had somebody that they were more kind of happy to have in the top job, that you'd get all the other changes happening much quicker. Yeah, but when you look at the problems that have been in the Gardaí, Shikana, all those policing issues, like, for instance, the 999 calls on on domestic uh, violence, Mm. you know, all those, the issue about the speeding tickets, all the complaints that Morris McCabe had, you know, they all existed yeah. under a certain management that was always promoted from the inside. Right. And that's why I think it had to come in from the outside. I really do believe that. Mm. And, you know, so I wouldn't give in. I wouldn't give an inch now on Drew Harris's management. Absolutely not. Mm. You know, and, it, and it's not like it's a factory or a department or any other kind of organization or radio station. It is the Guardi and it's like the army. It is a hierarchical yeah. uh, situation. They do have to take orders. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like 
any other public servant. And that's why I think it has to be treated in mm. a different way. It's certainly something that's not going to be solved by us today anyway, Sarah, but that was an interesting mm. intake, uh, 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 an interesting take on all of that. Can you stay with me for all? We're just going to take a break, but there is something else I want to talk to you about after the break. And you're welcome back. This is Barbara Scully here and I am talking to Sarah Carey. Sarah, on, um, yes. on, a, on, a, on a completely <laughs> different topic, but one no less important, I don't think, um, RTE and The Late Late Show. So first of all, I want to ask you, did you watch The Late Late Show on Friday night? I did not. What? <laughs> Sarah, seriously? Thought, now, I put that into some context Please for do. You, Barbara. Um, I barely watch any television. Oh, God. Here we go. And I, uh, yeah, and I rarely, rarely watch any RTE television. Oh, I've God. Probably, the only Late Late shows I've probably watched in recent years are the toy shows. Oh, my God. Now, I, Sarah, yeah, I don't know if we can be friends. What? <laughs> what? Um, now, that, I'm, I don't shun a visual entertainment entirely. Like, if something <laughs> comes out on Netflix, like The Crown or something like that, Homeland, you know, I'll watch that. But I actually have almost given up TV. But oh, I did okay. see a, I did see the clip of Patrick Keelty doing this, the bit at the start. You know, what did the, you think of that bit? Yeah, his kind of satirical bit at the start. Yeah, so I did think it was the right way to handle it, mm. you know, make the jokes about it. But I thought he seemed incredibly nervous. Mm. He really struck me as being... And I don't blame him for that. Like, I don't judge him for that. Mm. It was a huge piece to have to do. And then there was a moment where he talked about the privilege it was for him to welcome people to the Late Late Show. And his voice almost broke. Yes. You know... So that made me like him very much, I have to say, that you could see how much it meant to him and how nervous that he was. And he clearly is going to need time to settle into it. You know, it is a big ask. I think he's a really intelligent guy. And we were talking just in the last part about the difficulties Drew Harris is having about a northerner coming down here to do a job. He's a particularly thoughtful kind of person. He is. And I did see a clip of him before being interviewed by Tommy Tiernan um, when it was the time when the girls' soccer team mm. had sang uh, the Wolf Tones. And as you know, I recently complained yes. about the Electric Picnic crowd singing about the Wolf Tones. And Kilty responded to it in a really thoughtful way. He's and Tiernan was inclined to dismiss people singing Ua Up the Ra. And Kilty, in a very nice, charming way, said, Yeah, you know. But if you're a unionist and people are talking about having a united Ireland, mm. how do you think you might feel if you see people singing that? So I think he's going to bring a completely different, you know, yeah. kind of dimension uh, to it. I believe they've made the show shorter, which definitely would help because it just dragged on for too long. And um, if they can secure just good guests now, that would yeah. be it. That you're not you just looking at the same people. One of yeah. the things that I think um, is that, you know... I mean, we'll never get here the kind of guests that Graham Norton gets week after week on his sofa on his show um, in London. But do you not think that the Late Late Show back in its heyday relied an awful lot on having really interesting panel discussions? And I still yeah. think that it, that Irish people love a good panel discussion, not necessarily about politics or economics, but about maybe cultural issues or, you know, big, big stories. And if you have a good quality panel, I think that would, would really help the Late Late Show kind of not being so focused on having the guests and getting the criticism that we hear all the time of, oh, they've raided the RT canteen again, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. 
Um, like they're the only celebrities we have, really. Um, yeah, and I, fir- I firmly believe, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I have stopped watching television, mm. is that if you put on smart people and have a conversation yes. worth listening to, then I actually will. What happens is with so many public conversations is, so let's say you're going to have a conversation about, I don't know, gay marriage or something so. I know what you're going to say, yeah. Well, you can pick the same three people. I will write down a script for you in advance of what every single person is going to say. Mm. Uh, the idea is to have a big fight so that it uh, trends on Twitter. Yeah. And. And it's, that's it's utterly tedious. It's utterly it's tedious utterly and actually it changes nobody's mind and it doesn't move anybody and you know it is so predictable. Um whereas yeah. I think if you have a more philosophical I know I've said this to you before. You know the kind of discussions you used to have on your program on Talking Point um which were more philosophical discussions. I think that would be great. Now listen, moving on because I'm conscious of time and I do want to ask okay. you what I mean on the bigger question um, of needing public service broadcasting, what is public service broadcasting and why do we need it? OK, so I think public service broadcasting is about truth, mm. that if someone is on the airwaves saying something that is untrue, that they are called on it and that you have fact based discussions, that that should be the very, very first thing. And and that doesn't mean that that can't be entertaining yeah. um, or, or responsible. It also means as well, it's not the Kardashians. It's not the fluff. It's not the nonsense. Let the commercials do that. There are many, many wonderful kinds of programs that can be made. Um, something like Nationwide, mm. which is going around the country interviewing really interesting people doing really, really interesting things. And, and those programs are very, very popular. But maybe commercial uh, broadcasters don't want to air them because they cost too much to make and they want that clickability factor, you know, for social media. And um, and I have no... And then uh, uh, investigation. Yeah. So, um, you know, look at all the big primetime investigates programs that there have been. They cost money mm. to actually make those. That's public service broadcasting. Um, you know, so the stuff that isn't just the cheap, clickable, and, and uh, fluffy entertainment. And doesn't public service broadcasting also need to be completely independent of any need to be clickable, as you say, or particularly um, commercially, if you like, viable? Sometimes things cost money but need to be done because they're the right thing to be done. So, yeah, now, and I do believe that doesn't mean that public service broadcasting is not commercially viable. So, for example, if you take something like a primetime investigation, mm. Um, you know, like those things end up getting so much coverage, resulting in real change. All the newspapers then pick up on them. All the other radio stations pick up on them. You know, um, you're just never exactly sure how maybe something is going to plan out. Maybe you have to start three or four investigations and maybe one comes in and the other three peter out. Mm. That's where the investment is needed, you know. And I firmly believe in that. So I have paid my TV licence and I will pay it. I wish it wasn't being wasted, Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And clearly, there have been major, major governance issues um, in RTE. The whole Ryan Tuberty thing turned out to be a big sideshow. There's other yeah. stuff going on about who got redundancies, who yeah. got pension payoffs. You know, there's a lot that needs to be fixed think, at RTE. Do you think Kevin Backhurst is the man for the job? He does seem to have made a very strong start. 
Yeah, he does. Now, I was annoyed at the start on behalf of David McRedmond, the CEO of Unpost, who, as somebody said once, you know, double the price of stamps, closed the post office, yeah. and uh, and everybody still loves him. He did all these other wonderful things, just great stuff about gender within Unpost. They have closed the gender pay cap. Their fleet is electric vehicles. Yeah. Like, really, you know, then he gets involved in really good community stuff during COVID, sending mm. out the postcards. Like, I think he's a brilliant guy, and he didn't even get past the screening interview. And I think he would have been fantastic on the commercials. Kevin yeah. Backers, I have to say, though, has impressed. Yeah. Um, you know, like, the way he did drop Ryan Tubbard in the end, it was harsh, but it showed no one is indispensable yeah. and that's a very strong message to send to everybody else in RTE so I think he's put himself in a very very strong position the money is his problem now and maybe that's where David McRedmond would have been good on the money side you yeah. know yeah. so we'll just have to see how it goes but he's certainly put himself in the best possible position that he can yeah. to show that he is willing to take tough decisions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the coming months I mean RTE should be saved right I mean it's it's not Oh yeah yeah yeah, and uh, and one and I think once they're willing to show that they're willing to, to make, make tough decisions, mm. then we can reframe the whole TV license, which everybody knew was outdated anyway. Mm. We call it something else. It's some kind of public broadcasting media payment. It's more transparent and fair how stations like LMFM get a cut of that. Because Ooh. right now, you know, there is a fund and, and radio program makers can apply if they're making a particular program to get to a the cut BAI. of that. So it's, yeah, so it's not like they don't get anything out of the, the TV license fee, but maybe open that up a bit more, make it a bit easier for uh, local radio uh, to get a cut of that. And I think if that was done, then you might generate the willingness to pay it again. And also putting it in the hands of revenue to collect it is really, really important. What never gets mentioned these days is the property tax. Revenue, mm. who are really good and really scary... <laughs> <laughs> are, are very smoothly collecting all our property taxes and there isn't a word about it, you know. So if, if you hand it over to them, everyone's terrified of revenue. Yeah, know? nobody nobody uh, was terrified of the van coming to check whether you had a tally in your house. Nonsense. It was <laughs> Yeah, it was complete nonsense. So give it to the Rev and... And we lobbied. And nobody wants to cross the rev. Well, I have to and, say, I paid I paid my TV license only last week as well. And I do believe it's important. And I do believe that RT is important. Somebody's just texted in. Frank has just texted in to say the late later should have been axed years ago. A total waste of money. Um, but I think it's salvageable. And I think, I think reading between the lines, you do too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like I said, I'm not watching it myself, but I'm not like an evangelical atheist about these things. Just because I'm not doesn't mean I don't think other people. People, people should, should you know <laughs> yeah so if they can work on the production you know keep it tighter and uh, work on getting in those big stars have those conversations you know and yeah. just a new conversation and a fresh conversation yeah. and not a conversation I've watched yeah and I mean Tommy before. Tiernan has proved it's about conversation it's not about celebrity yes. you know and I Absolutely. think that's that's something listen it's always great to talk to you um, you always have an interesting take on everything and I love the fact that that, um, that you're what did somebody call you recently a non-winger you're not a right winger or a left winger you're your oh, own winger really? oh that's good yeah you're a non-winger you kind of you know you sum up everything and make your own decision thanks a million Sarah now don't you're go away talk again, Barbara. see you Sarah bye, thanks bye. a million coming up now after this is the news 
And you're welcome back to The Late Lunch. Now, following a series of successful wildlife conferences, Paw Ireland, the Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland and the Ulster Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals will be jointly hosting an All-Ireland Wildlife Crime and Conservation Conference in the Glenview Hotel in County Wicklow on the 30th of September and 1st of October next. This two-day event will have two separate themes. Saturday's theme is Wildlife Crime, Justice for Nature and Sunday's theme is Conservation and How to Nurture Nature. That's hard to say. Um, To tell us more, I am joined now on the line by Josephine McCarran from Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland and by Damien Hannigan from Paul and the Irish Deer Commission. Hello to you both. Hello. Nice to have you. Uh, Damien, can I start with you, please? No problem. Great. Um, Can you tell me, first of all, because I wasn't, I hadn't heard of Paul before, what is Paul Ireland? Yeah, Parliament uh, effectively is, is a forum of, of statutory agencies and non-statutory agencies and interest groups uh, really with the common goal of combating wildlife crime in Ireland. Um, and we also work as well with uh, our colleagues in Northern Ireland as well. And uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, our Wildlife Crime Conference is, is co-sponsored um, and including uh, USPCA in, in Northern Ireland. Um Wildlife crime in itself, you know, at a European level, uh, Barbara, it, mm. it's the fourth largest crime um, after human, human uh, drug and firearm trafficking. And it's estimated that criminal gangs are generating in the region of about 20 billion per year uh, from wildlife crime. Now, in, in Europe, that, that may look like, um, you know, trafficking in endangered species and so on, whereas in here in Ireland, uh, the common crimes, wildlife crimes that we would, we would see is... is for example, it could be the illegal killing of deer, deer poaching. It could be illegal hair coursing and um, the trapping of, of, of songbirds uh, and, and so on. So they're more the common crimes that we see here in Ireland. OK, gosh, that's a shocking figure. And the fact that it's the fourth largest crime, um, that, that, that I'm shocked by that. Um, so tell me, for example, I know, as I said in the introduction, that you're from the, um, the uh, Irish Deer Commission. Um, so what are the crimes you just mentioned there in relation to deer who've had a kind of a bad press recently, um, you know, about them being there's too many of them we're hearing and the damage that they can do to some habitats. Can you give me the other side of that? Yeah, no problem, Barbara. Yeah, I suppose, yes, it is. It is, um, I suppose, in the Irish Deer Commission and in general, those involved in either the management or, or the conservation of, of, our, of our protected wild deer, there has been a lot of concern you know, what some people would perceive as maybe possibly ill-informed or even some people would go as far to say as, as hate speech towards wild deer because wild deer, you know, is, is widely known in terms of when their numbers become uh, excessive. They can have negative impacts on, on farming, forestry and, and the wider ecosystem. When deer numbers are managed at sustainable levels, they're very much eco-engineers and an important part of the countryside in, in the sense that they can uh, support uh, regeneration uh, but the, the important caveat there really is in terms of managing our numbers at sustainable levels. And we've heard a lot of comments in, in recent months in terms of, you know, claims of known deer population or overpopulation. And really the fact of the matter is that we've, we've never undertaken a census of, of deer in Ireland. And uh, so the population is, is, is unknown. Uh, saying that you know, COVID-19 and the restrictions that it brought it really did create the perfect storm for deer numbers to increase and to explode. Not any scientific base, we have seen anecdotal evidence in some areas, predominantly in County Wicklow, 
um, of, of, our, of overpopulation in some areas. Right. Would you be, this? I hope this isn't an unfair question, but Damien, would you be in favour of, because it's something we've discussed here on the programme before, the reintroduction of larger predators, such as wolves, in order to help control naturally the deer population? Yeah, and again, look, I, I, I think, you know, um, an apex predator such as the wolf is, is an iconic species and, you know, I, uh, a species that a lot of people would like to see, you know, in, in mm. the countryside, but there, there's a certain level of reality here uh, in the sense that we're a small island nation. Uh, we don't really have, you know, when you look at, say, for example, in the United States, the Yellowstone National Park, um, you know, our largest national park is only a, a small percentage of the size, so we, we really don't have the habitat where we're very much focused in terms of um, uh, an agricultural you know, society in terms mm. of, um, you know, we've, you know, if we look at sheep numbers alone, we've in the region of five and a half million sheep in Ireland and, you know, they would be far easier prey for uh, for for uh, predators such as the wolves as much as we, we would love to see that species. But I think in, you know, often comments around the introduction of the wolf or the lynx, uh, while well intended, in regards to deer management, it would have very little effect because deer are a highly adaptable animal. Um, right. You know, they're a flight animal. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, livestock would make it far easier prey for those, you know, um, that than deer. And probably it would have unintended consequences yeah. in the sense of actually spreading deer further, um, yeah, more so than anything. So unfortunately, while in other jurisdictions where they have significant Area, unpopulated areas or areas that are not, you know, heavily uh, intensive in terms of agriculture, it, it may be more appropriate. Unfortunately, here in Ireland, it w- would have little or no effect. Uh-huh. Uh, very good. Thank you for that. Josephine, can I come to you now? Um, and you're from Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland. Um, there is a direct link, isn't there, between having a healthy wildlife and healthy biodiversity and a healthy climate and a healthy planet? Of course, yeah, Barbara. And what are the kind, yeah? What are the kind of things that that we need to be looking at with a degree of, I'd say, quite a, quite a degree of urgency now in order to encourage a healthier wildlife? Well, I mean, the urgency can't be overstated, but things that can be done that everybody can do uh, currently in our season that we're in, we can not tidy up and not clean up as much as we used to do in the past. Just leave the leaves, no more uh, spraying pesticides. If you belong to a tidy town, if you belong to a residence committee, you know, no group is too small to take action. Stop spraying, uh, leave as many weeds as you can. I know it's difficult. I've had to change the way I see things in my own garden. Um, We need to lobby government, we need to lobby our local TDs, keep our rivers clean, go on to, we have more information now than we've ever had, and you go on to Google and you can see the local biodiversity groups that are working in your area, get involved. It's, It's very overwhelming for people because it does seem like a huge task, but it is, once you get involved and once you start small in your own space, in your own estate, on your own road, you can make a massive difference. I mean, wild gardening now is critical. You know, you can introduce all the pollinators into your own patch and then watch it grow throughout your estate. And it's very rewarding. So it's not a case of always looking at the Greta Thunbergs and thinking, oh, I can't cope, I can't cope. 
everybody can do something. Yeah, and it all will make a difference. I love that, don't tidy up. I mean, like, you know, for a lazy gardener like me, this is joy, like, don't tidy up, just leave it. <laughs> so it's really yeah, about changing our attitudes, isn't it? And not having the attitudes of going, oh my God, look at all those dandelions. Instead going, oh look, they're lovely yellow dandelions. <laughs> they're nice, cheerful it dandelions. Is. And when you walk through the dandelions and you hear the air vibrating yes. around them because they're full of insects and there's house sparrows feeding on the seed heads, you know in your heart it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, it's just that step change for people and sort of get away from the plastic grass. Um, yeah, look, yeah. people know. People know what to do. And what can people do? It, like, you know, when you do you think there's an awful lot of um, a need? We talked about changing attitudes towards weeds in your garden and not being kind of so focused on tidying up and all that kind of stuff. But is there also a need for us to change our attitude towards certain uh, species of wildlife like I'm thinking of I mean I live in an urban area and I'm thinking of urban foxes or you know mice or uh, things like that that people get a bit oh I don't want any of those you know put down a mouse trap or get get rid of the you know foxes or or what do they call them um not feral what's the word I'm looking for um you know that they're not they're they're not they're not welcomed do we need to change that attitude as well and and realize that we share the planet with all these creatures that we need yeah of course Barbara because Look, this is where the word biodiversity uh, comes to life and uh, the ecosystem. And people may not want to hear this, but the the rats, the mice, um, your slugs that are eating all of your lupins and all your lovely flowers, the creepy crawly spiders that are trying to get into your house, every single thing matters. Yeah. Everything is intrinsically linked together and has an impact when it's being damaged. And we all know this now. You know, people are so aware of our pollinators and our bees. Um, so I think, you know, stamping and killing out insects or, you know, poisoning. If you poison a rat or poison um, any kind of, um, I hate that word vermin, but let's That's use the word I was vermin. looking for a minute ago. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's going to go up the food chain. So it's a matter of living in harmony and you know, just looking around you and seeing what is trying to live beside you and what is trying to cope in our housing estates as we're building our brick walls and yeah. we're, um, you know, putting up uh, all of our commercial buildings. They, that should be done in tune with nature. Big business corporations should be working with the likes of us and other biodiversity groups to build alongside nature. Stop ripping out the hedgerows to build a wall. Build a wall behind a hedgerow if you have yeah. to. But it's all, it's like, I think if you hear irritation in my voice, it's because this is not science. This is not PhD stuff. This is common it's sense. Just common sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I love what you're saying. And I've often thought if we could encourage people as well, again, in urban areas where those of us who are lucky to still have gardens, because I know certainly around where I live, it's all about apartments, apartments, apartments. Mm-hmm. But if you do have a garden, you've got a very precious piece of land that you can help you know you can as you say with the weeds and everything else but I also think it would be great if we could encourage people to to not build walls all around your garden so to leave corridors that wildlife can move through so they can move mm-hmm. through all the gardens easily so that we don't have the breeze block walls on three sides of your garden and the house on the other side Yeah exactly and ivy I mean I could go on for hours on this ivy is critical stop tearing down ivy Um you know, leave your gaps for your hedgehogs and your smaller mammals to come through. Don't be afraid of, of oh, people put out feeders and they think, oh, we're going to be inundated with rats. I no. mean, 
Look, uh, the joy of having a wild space and mm. if you happen to have kids around, grandkids, uh, you know, it is. there's nothing more beautiful. I grew up in the 70s and 80s collecting frog spawn mm. and, um, you know, regularly seeing hedgehogs. And I mean, my daughter uh, has never seen a hedgehog in the wild. So, I know, it's you know, it's Yeah. It's, it's really shocking, asked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm even older than you, but and and I was the very same thing. And actually, during COVID, my um, youngest daughter, who's like she was, she's 23 now, she bought a, she, she bought a hedgehog house online. So much so that her mm. bank actually rang her to query this because they thought it was an odd purchase for her to make. And we've that hedgehog house sitting in the back garden. There hasn't been a hedgehog who has darkened the door of it in three years, which just you know shows you there aren't as many hedgehogs around as there used to be. Um, can I come back to you, Damien? Um, and can you? Is that, do you feel that there is um, enough legislation in place in Ireland specifically to protect wildlife? Yeah, it, it, it's a good point, Barbara. Yeah, I, and I think you know the we saw, for example, legislation with the Animal Health and Welfare Act, for example, was with significant progress mm. in regards to legislation. And there is a review of the Wildlife Act currently underway at the moment as well, which we would probably see not fit for purpose from a management or a conservation, you know, or even a wildlife crime point of view. Um, I suppose it's the age-old issue, unfortunately, in, in regards to is having the legislation is one thing, but enforcement is, is, is a real problem. Um, and, you know, it's it's something that we, you know, in speaking to um, the various agencies, such as the National Parks and Wildlife Service and on Garda Chicon, in terms of having dedicated resources um, to tackle wildlife crime, Mm. Uh, we saw uh, Minister Noonan, for example, appoint the um, uh, the wildlife crime unit in the National Parks and Wildlife Service, but it never it never really got up and running and, and no longer exists. You know, so that that, that was a disappointment in, mm. in in a time when we've more resources, you know, to to um, uh, available as as a country. Um, it's, it's something, yeah. So we definitely would sort of see progress has been made in terms of legislation. But enforcement is, is is a significant issue and a major frustration mm. for Paul and and the various um, organisations uh, mm. that deal with wildlife crime. So I mean, it comes back to the point I was making to Josephine there is that it is you know in in a large in a large way it's about changing people's hearts and minds as well and making this um, much more of a priority politically than perhaps it has been up until now. Absolutely, yeah, and and w- without doubt, I think you know you know. Having such conferences, you know, as, as the um, uh, you know the wildlife crime and conservation conference, you know, brings people together, and you know, we would definitely see that there's a, a better awareness, you know, um, in regards to you know the, the important topics and the issues around and what people, how people can play their part, you know, mm. um, and just the discussion you just had, you know, is, as well. I think in terms of finding that balance between, you know, it's you know, it's not about one land use sector. You know, it's it's our, our one land use. It's 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 you know, it's it's finding that balance for nature and for mm. for management and conservation and and understanding. Obviously, you know, people then obviously make it their livelihood and a living from the land as well. And mm. um, so it's finding that balance, and that's that's something within the Irish Commission we're fun, we constantly find a challenge that to try and educate people to sort mm. of say yes, if you manage deer at a sustainable level, there are benefits to the countryside. We don't need to try and reduce them to the level of vermin. You know. And, yes. Um, um, you know, because we've seen a lot of push in, in particularly around our sea deer for to, to remove their protection under the Wildlife Act and, and to make them an invasive alien species. Um, you know, maybe with people maybe best intentions but not understanding the consequences of something like that. That mm. 
you know, the, the, do you have a certain biology in terms of that they're young or dependent at certain periods of the year? And, you know, if you, if you create a situation where you reduce a species to the level of vermin um, and, you know, if the female is, 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 is cold or shot, you know, it, it, it leaves a dependent young behind. Yeah. So, so issues like that we're really trying to create awareness on. But definitely would like to think that there has been improvement in recent years, but at a government level, we really need to focus in regards to um, the wildlife crime topic and mm. the enforcement of, of the, uh, the legislation. Well, it's something I think that our listeners can bear in mind. I mean, we'll obviously have a general election coming up um, in the next kind of year to two years. And I think it's something that if it is something that you are passionate about, make sure you raise it on the doorsteps and raise it with your local politicians so that we can move it up the political agenda a little bit. Your conference, as I say, is over two days. You have different themes on each of the day. Is the conference open to members of the public who are interested to go along? Absolutely, yes. Um, we've, we've, if you go to the Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland website or um, on the uh, Irish Geo Commission Twitter account, we just put a link up there for tickets that are available, either one or two day tickets to the general public. Uh, and we would encourage um, everyone that has an interest in these topics you know, to attend. It's uh, taking place, as you mentioned, in the introduction on the, the 30th of September and the 1st of October in County Wicklow. Uh, and we'd love to see as many people there as possible. Yeah. Um, for for those, if I can just mention it quickly, Barbara, sure. for those who, who who can't attend, is I, I would draw their attention that the Parliament would have uh, launched a reporting app for wildlife crime. Um, it should be available on the various app stores, but if not, you can just um, a quick search uh, for for wildlifecrime.ie, and you'll see the reported function there where where members of the public that suspect a wildlife crime has taken place um, can can report that and um, uh, and then there's a follow-up with the, with the relevant agencies. Um, there's also some very useful information there as well just to, to, to watch out for the types of wildlife crime that, that mm. may be taking place in, in sure. the community. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, listen, thank you very much for talking to me today. Um, the best of luck with the conference and thank you for all the work you do in protecting and rehabilitating our wildlife. We'll take a break. And you're welcome back. Now, in keeping with the animal theme, which is one of my favourite themes, it has to be said, um, on the radio, I am now joined by uh, Clodagh Malone, a woman from the Cooley Peninsula, who's going to tell us the story of Paco, her cat, who went on an unauthorised walkabout recently, but it has a happy ending, just in case you're worried. Clodagh, how are you? How you doing, Barbara? <laughs> You're very welcome, yeah. Long. Listen, before I ask you about Paco the Cat, and can I just say that I think he's got the coolest name. That's a very cool name, Paco the Cat. Or but she, actually. Oh, sorry. She, we got the gender wrong. Oh, yeah, you did? Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah oh, yeah. dear. Unfortunately, now she's famous. She's stuck with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but before I ask you about that, I just want our listeners to know that you are, in fact, a real true cat woman, because tell us all how many cats you actually have. Yeah, they're all rescues, actually. Okay. Uh, uh, that doesn't make it any less. Ten? Yeah. That's <laughs> one more than I thought you had. I thought you had nine. You've ten. Yeah, well, Paco came back, so then there was ten. Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Coco, Java, Rico, Paco, Molly, Ellie, Toby, Tico, Theo and Pia. That's impressive. So, and you know and all the names. Yes, yeah, so we, we do love cats. Um, but uh, yeah, we were, we, I, I put on, the, on my post on Facebook that we were distraught and we were actually, we were because... Paco is the pet because she's so profoundly deaf. And um, you were speaking about wildlife there in your last yes. um, item. She would not survive in the wild. She's deaf. She can't hear 
predators. She yeah. can't even hunt herself. Yeah. Um, she wouldn't hear cars. She's she's um, you know she would be absolutely useless uh, yeah. in, in the world. So this this was what the um, what, what the urgency was trying to get her. So back. tell me tell me what happened on the day. So so you're you're fully aware of Paco's disability and the fact that that it would make as you say you have to be careful of her. What happened? Yeah. That you, well, how did you realise that Paco was not around? Well, it, it was actually the Saturday night that we realised because she, um, because she's deaf, she loves visual stimulation. So right. uh, spins in my van are are, are her favourite thing and her <laughs> movie night, movie night on a Saturday night with us, <laughs> sitting watching the movie. Um, so that was the first time she didn't show up. So, um, <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I was a, a bit, uh, I was a, a bit worried at that stage, and uh, then that night I, I had a search for her, and it really. And of course, you like can't call name. her. You can't go out and go. Psh, 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 where are you, Paco? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, we call her with with very strong flashlights. When we go outside, we call her with very strong flashlights. <laughs> so um, Morse yeah, code. Yeah, and when we we wake her up from sleep, we have to blow on her, um, yeah. you know, little things like that. So she really is very vulnerable. But yeah, so when I I, I had a look outside um, with the torches, and she wasn't there, so I got straight onto Facebook midnight, um, thinking nobody would be around, but that people would pick it up next morning. Yeah, and uh, a friend of mine, Caroline Curley, had shared it. Right, and uh, a friend of hers just happened to be the daughter of a dishwasher engineer who had been at our house on Thursday. Uh-huh. And I had I had mentioned in the post that the, 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 the most likely thing that might have happened would have been that she hopped into the dishwasher man's van because she's so used to hopping into my van. She likes vans. Yeah, and I wasn't there at the time. I told him just to work away, so oh. I didn't get a chance to check it. So but, off she uh, went so in the dishwasher van. Yeah, yeah. So, so these days, um, you can't really ask for details of the next person's house he visited. So he yeah. did phone her and say, "Keep an eye out for Black Cat." But yeah. he did say, "Look, I didn't open the back of the van. I, I doubt it's in Omeet." Right. But nevertheless, we put up posters all over Omeet. Um, just you know, any avenue where anybody phoned us saying they that they saw a black cat, we we just we we had okay. to address it and put up posters and. But, so what um, happened then? Yeah, so, so I, I've met so many black cats. Uh, I've travelled so far, you know, <laughs> 40 miles away to, to check out cat in Portadown and get it back to its owner. And I know all the black cats that are okay, good. large out there. That's great. But yeah, so after three weeks, it was starting to die down. The replies were... Or the, the, the and did you think the worst, Clodagh? Did you think, oh, you know, that that's it? Funny, I, I I still had faith because one of our other black cats had gone missing a right. while ago and it took three months to come back. So I knew that miracles did happen and I just kept the posters up and okay. kept the posts going on all day. So tell us tell us what happened. Tell us the happy ending. Yeah, the happy ending. Get to the end. It's um, uh, I was at the Knockbridge Vintage Rally and I came home and had a, a text waiting for me. Cloda, I think my father-in-law has your cat. Oh my God! And I didn't want to raise any hopes, but I, I, I just said to my son Owen, "Listen, it's, it's, it's a call. We haven't had many calls lately, so maybe come with me for this one." Yeah. So yeah, she said uh, her husband um, noticed that he that that uh, Paco was deaf because she would sit on the laneway of um, uh, his dad's um, farm. 
and they'd have to pick her up, put her in the tractor, and they noticed that she loved the spins in the tractor. And she wasn't and, bothered by the uh, noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. uh, Patrice it was, Patrice O'Hagan, who saw the ad in Omeet. Uh-huh. And um, she she said, uh, you know, if you want to call around later. So I got Owen, we hopped in the van over to uh, Charlie O'Hagan's um, house and he, he uh, uh, to Patrice's house, Charlie arrived with Paco and I said, there's one way that we can check with Paco. And I took her in my arms and she stretches out in oh. my arms. Oh. And, and waits for her neck massage because oh. her neck is always very sore from looking around, say, 360 degrees with her, you know, she uses her eyes a lot. <laughs> so I gave her her neck massage and she just kept... And um, you knew this was Paco? It was Paco, yes. And listen, touching my face and... Tell her yeah, listeners, was she was found in a place called... Curricut. Which means... The place of the cat. The place of the I mean, cat. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, she, she gave us plenty of hints. Yeah, she did. Go look at the place of the cat. Yes, (laughs) and uh, the funny, um, funny. We've been piecing together the story. Yeah, but the the it turns out that the lady whose dishwasher was fixed after mine. Yeah, just happens to be Charlene, who is uh, Charlie's daughter. So we reckon that Paco might have had two trips in a van. She's listen. I hope we're we're just up against time at the minute. But Claude, I hope you've sat down with Paco, have you, and explained in whatever way, using flashlights or sign language or whatever, (laughs) that she's not to be getting into any other vans, only your own. That any other van is not 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 a good place. (laughs) Well, listen, that is a great story, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. I love cat people. I love the fact that you have ten cats, all with amazing names, and I wish you and Paco, who's very lucky to have a, a wonderful person to look after. I wish you the very best. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thanks a million. And you're welcome back to the Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully in for Jerry Kelly this week. Now, another one of my favourite subjects. I have to say, I love Louise and the, and the topics she comes up with uh, to discuss here. Going from cats to bread um, and specifically sourdough bread. Um, because did you know that sourdough bread, if done right, is good not only for your physical health, but also for your mental health. So to tell me more, I'm actually joined in studio by Chris Brownlow, who um, is from Bread With Benefits. That's right, just down the road in County Meath. Excellent, excellent. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming in, Chris. And I see you've got bags of goodies. I think you've got bags of goodies uh, with you there as well. Absolutely. Um, And thanks for having me in. Not at all. Listen, tell me a little bit, first of all, um, how did you... Well, first of all, tell me what Bread With Benefits is actually about. We're what we're about. We're a food experience, and we want to tell a story, uh, our food story around through a loaf of bread. Good. So we're trying to inspire and educate people to eat well and live well. Right. Food has a huge impact on, on, on as you just said, on your physical and mental health. Uh, and we we want to just try and tell a story through a loaf of bread. Through a loaf of bread. That sounds like you're pushing an open door in Ireland, doesn't it? But you didn't start with bread. You started with potatoes. That's right. I, my career was agriculture. Um, when I left school, I went to Scotland to, to university, started working in the agricultural supply industry over there for a number of years. But uh, a great friend of mine, Ray Coyle, started up a company called Largo Foods, which eventually turned into Tato Snacks. And he enticed me back to, to Ireland to grow spuds for him and, and with him. Excellent. And that was in the mid-90s. Right. And what happened then? So along the way, I always had a passion for food. OK. And, you know, about 10 years ago, I started um, just going around different places, cookery classes. And Doing classes yourself, like learning? Learning, mm. learning, picking up 
recipes and techniques and all the rest of it. And um, along the way, I came across sourdough bread. Um, I was on a business of food course down in Ballymaloo. Oh, very and, nice. Um, they have what's called the bread shed down there. Of course they do. Yeah, and they make all this wonderful sourdough bread. Oh, fabulous. So that was my uh, aha moment, you know, just turning. And you uh, fell in love. Fell in love with just telling, <laughs> turning salt, flour and water into something wonderful. But there is something special about sourdough, isn't there? I kind of know this from a friend of mine who's very into it because there's a magic element magic to is, making sourdough. The magic is fermentation. Yeah, that so is the magic that unlocks all the goodness out of, out, out of uh, your 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 sourdough bread, and it it nearly pre digests the bread. So people with sensitive digestions like IBS and so yeah. on sometimes feel that they can eat uh, they can consume this type of bread and not have the consequence uh, uh, pain and constipation what comes with IBS. Excellent, excellent. Explain a little bit about how that actually works, because making sourdough isn't just a case of larrying everything into a bowl and smacking it around and whacking it out. There's there's an extra step, isn't well, there? Or is it? it is. Is it? See, that's, the, that's the beauty of what we're trying to do. Because yeah. I'd have always been put off sourdough going, oh, that's really yeah, complicated. You'd need a degree in science to be able to right. sort that yeah, out. It, it, yes, absolutely. Uh, our method of making sourdough is we mix... We let we we let it prove in the tin. See, we use a tin, so that's that's why it makes it simpler. Oh! So you mix in the bowl like you would any other bread. Yeah. You you put it into a tin. You just leave it there. You can you can do this at night before you go to bed. You can lit, mix it, leave it in the tin, let it prove overnight, and next morning, throw it into the oven or put it into the fridge. And when you come home after work, bake it in the oven then. Oh, so the whole magic with the yeast, which. I've read in other things it has to do that on its Todd. You put it all together and it does it, if yeah. you like, on the job. <laughs> so it, absolutely. That, Very the, technical the, the, explanation. The, 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 the real thing about sourdough is is the starter. Right. The starter, um, and that's what people, uh, they struggle with what a starter is. It's just flour and water. But what's happening in the flour and water is all the yeasts and the, and the bacterias are munching away on, on, on the flour and the sugars in the flour. And they, they, they're the raising agent for your loaf. But they're all natural. Okay, so what is the difference, say, taste-wise, between sourdough bread and any other type of of bread? Is it, I mean, is it is it classed? Is there white sourdough and brown sourdough? Oh, there's all sorts of different types of sourdough. I right. Mean, there's white sourdough, but really, if you want to get the full benefit, health benefits from from sourdough, whole grains are important because whole grains are full of um, things like antioxidants and fiber. Fiber right. is what you're after. Okay. Because when you eat bread with with more whole grain, it that sourdough. When you eat a lo- when you eat anything, your your blood sugars go up, but if you have something that's uh, high in fibre, you don't get as much of a, of spike. a spike. So it evens out the spike. Also, would that be good then for diabetics? She absolutely, asks. Absolutely, because she is diabetic. Oh, is she? She is. Oh, so that that's good that, to know. Good for you. I actually wore a continuous blue glucose monitor myself to see what effects that bread had on me compared to a, a normal a regular. bread, and it was about a third of the spike, and it didn't last as long. Right. Oh, and it, now you very kindly and, and our producer has been busy in the kitchen for the last few minutes <laughs> buttering up. So you brought in some bread with you, which I have here in front of me. So I, I mixed that last night and I baked it this morning. Right. Excellent. But that to me, when I think of sourdough, and I mean, as I say, I don't make it. Uh, you know, when you go into a cafe and you get a, something or other on sourdough and mm. it's always a big slice with loads of holes in it. Yeah, <laughs> this looks like like regular brown bread to me. Well, that's what it is. I mean, I, you know, because I'm making this in a tin, I'm not getting the big whole bread. 
Oh, right. OK, I'm going to try this now. Um, and it's buttered and everything. Um, I'm going to try this and see what it's like. Louise, you need to try some of this as well. It's lovely. That's very nice. It's more, as sourdough generally is, it's more chewy, isn't it? Yeah, you see, industrial made bread is, is soft and it's e- much easier to eat and you eat it a lot quicker. Okay. So that's why you eat more more food when it's ultra processed because it's, it's designed that way because they want to sell more. Right, okay. Whereas this bread, you have to work on it a little bit. You have to chew it. Yeah. So you wouldn't eat as much of it either then. Correct. Mm. And that because it has a full of fibre and that bread, that loaf is made all with Irish locally grown grains as right. well. Most flour in the country, most bread in the country is imported. Uh, with made, made with imported flour. Uh-huh. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Mm. That's that's stunned, stunned at that piece of information. Okay, now, so did you watch? I'm I'm putting you on because I didn't ask you this in advance. But did you happen to see? I'm only thinking of it as you're talking about whole grains and you're talking about things grown locally. There's a fantastic documentary on Netflix at the moment, which everybody's talking about, called "Live to a Hundred. Dan Butner. Is it? I mean, I, I, he sounds like he's singing the same kind of song that you're singing. Well, Dan Butner's researched Blue Zones for the last 20 years. Yes. And he's just, as you say, brought out this um, four-part Netflix series. Yes. And along with a book. Yes. And, you know, it highlights uh, a lot on the, on the different Blue Zones, be they in Sardinia or Costa Rica. Or Okinawa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Their diet and lifestyle is, is what makes Skip a huge difference. And, you know, the big thing is the lack of uh, consumption of ultra-processed foods. Yes, yes. And moving and community. So, yes, and sourdough bread. Most of those locations would consume sourdough bread. Made with grains and locally sourced locally ingredients. Locally sourced ingredients, that's the thing. And that's very important. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So you'd, you'd absolutely go along with, with oh, all of that. absolutely. Mm. Now, tell me a little bit, because I know you're hot as well, and you mentioned it just briefly earlier, that your gut health can benefit. You mentioned sugars, but your gut health can also benefit from sourdough bread. Yeah, the thing about gut health. When I mean, you talk, I'm going to have another uh, well, bite of this. By all means, Barbara. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> you didn't bring any soup, did you know? No, no. Next time, next time. <laughs> Some vegetable soup would be lovely with this now, yeah. So gut health, that's something that I only came to uh, in the last couple of years when I was fell into the, the, the sourdough story. Um and and why this is one of the whys around sourdough, but there's bread and there's bread and there's sourdough and there's sourdough. So, oh. it, you know, for people to find their local um, sourdough artisan baker, there's a good site called Real Bread Ireland, and they're just uh, a collection of artisan bakers all around the country. So if if you're looking for to buy your loaf, then look them up on the internet, and you should find one near That's enough true. in your locality, mm. and they. They, they they only let people on there that have um, you know no chemicals in the bread, so it's just the the salt and the flour and the water and the water. So gut health, it's all about fibre. The one thing you can do to improve your your gut health and your overall health is consume more fibre. And this is where the whole grain comes into uh, into effect when 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 we're making our when we're showing you how to make our bread. Mm, that's really good. That's really, really nice. OK, now, you, your your uh, bread with benefits. What does that what is that about? You offer workshops for people. So right? we have two types of workshops. One is a sort of a half day demo style where we get you in for about three hours and we get your hands in the dough. And we show you 
what the bread is about. Right. And we discuss all the things around it, the benefits, uh, hence the bread with benefits, so the health benefits of your bread and what you should be thinking about eating uh, with your bread and explain about the bread. And we give you a nice Can plant. Can you toast this as well? You oh, could, that's couldn't you? gorgeous toast. That's my favourite way of eating oh, it. Oh, right, yeah. It, I mean, that bread will last for three or four or five days. I'm finding it very hard as you're talking to me not to be sitting here thinking, yeah, you could toast, you could put melt cheese on the top of it as oh, well totally. as the vegetable soup. Absolutely. My head's going way around, yeah. Go on, sorry, I interrupted you, Flo. Yeah, you're back in your no, workshop. No, so, so back in the workshop and uh, we explain fibre, we explain... Um, Diversity. So when it comes to gut health, diversity is, is, is also key because just think of a zoo analogy. So if I had one food source for, right. for, for all my animals in the zoo and I only gave them one type of food, what do you think might happen to the animals? Some of them would be happy, ha- some of them wouldn't, some of them would die. They'd eat each other. They'd eat each other. So this is what we're doing to our gut. Our gut is full of microbes. We have an ecosystem of microbes in our gut. And that really helps our immune system, helps our mental health, helps our digestion. So we need diversity in our diet to keep that healthy. Healthy. Okay, and stimulated. And stimulated and keep it going, yes. Excellent. Yeah. Can I ask you another question relating to your workshops? Because this is something that I believe, as somebody who has, uh, I don't do very much anymore, but cook dinners for everybody in the house for like ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I've often, and I did a fair bit of baking. It wasn't brilliant, but I, I did in my time. Then I gave myself diabetes, so I kind of stopped doing the baking a lot. But anyway, um, I often found that if I was grumpy, bad humour, when I was baking in particular, that nothing, or cooking in fact, nothing tasted the way it should is that mad no not quite mad i mean you 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 mentioned you had di- diabetes mm. and so quite often when you have a big sugar spike and it crashes that's when you get grumpy oh. when you get tired and grumpy is when you when you crash so so that's why you are know, back to the fiber story if if we can avoid those really uh, aggressive spikes and and crashes you're you know, more even tempered. You're more even tempered. You have more energy. Right. And you you actually sleep better at night as well. Because quite often people wake up in the middle of the night because that that's because of their sugar crash. Sugar. Yeah. Right. So when when you have that big crash, you're releasing things like cortisol and 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 um other things. Other things, which <laughs> I can't think of. <laughs> Other things you release, uh, yes. And that that's your, that nearly gets you into your fight and, and flight response. Sure. Which is and your, your um, workshops now that you're doing, you do a half day and you do a full, no, a full day. day. So the full day thing is you're coming in, you're mixing the loaf and you're seeing what happens from the very start to, to the very end when you're baking it and taking it away with you. Right, okay. And, and in we, the middle of it you have... A nice lunch. We have a nice lunch, and we make, get you making butter. We get we get you making butter. Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, we is that, is that homemade butter? What's that? There? Wasn't homemade butter. Was right? it not? No. Right. Okay. Full disclosure. Full okay, disclosure. Full, that's very honest of you. Yes, it's very nice anyway. But I'm a sucker for butter anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you um you you also have as you say your plant based lunch. You make your butter mm-hmm. and you make a simple fruit compote without yeah, sugar. Yeah, I show you how to do that. We just. Uh, can get f- f- uh, organic frozen fruit and the likes of Aldi or whatever yeah. it was. Bring it out, and I show you. Just you put, take a pan, put it in the pan, l- defrost it, yeah, cool it off, and then we use some local honey. So, part of our workshops is uh, showing you all our local produce that we have in our doorstep, like okay. honey, Boyne Valley cheese, the cider mill cider, and wow. Ballymackenny potatoes only down the road from us here. Yeah. And the salt actually we use in the in in the loaves is from Port Oriel. 
Wow. Or you'll see. So, so we try and combine the, Everything connect local. the local food story. Which is and much better for the planet as well as much well, better. Well, that's the other part of it. We talk about sustainability as well. Great. Brilliant. Uh, having my farming background hat right. on. <laughs> <laughs> you're ticking all the boxes and I mean it, it actually sounds like a lovely relaxing way to spend either a day or a half day well exactly it's a day out yeah 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 and we get you laughing too oh that's very important yeah, that's yeah. very important and so where do people find more information well if they go on to the, the website www.breadwithbenefits.ie or, or or on the Instagram account at bread.withbenefits excellent and they can they can find out all they there. can find out there's some workshops we just put up some workshops there yesterday so Great. And where are you based again? Screen. Screen. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Listen, that's absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to chomp the rest of that now in an ad break. But thank you very much. You're that most welcome. Chris Brownlow, check out Bread with Benefits. We'll take a break. And you're welcome back. Barbara Scully here. Now, we are hurtling along into autumn, which culminates with the wonderful festival of Halloween, which is my favourite, favourite, favourite time of year. You can keep Christmas. I'd have Halloween twice and I'd be happy out. So I'm very pleased to be joined on the line now by John Guy, who is here to tell us all about his pumpkin patch, which is opening shortly. How are you doing, John? Not so bad, Barbara. Thank nice to talk to you. Dan, nice to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. So listen, tell me, what is this pumpkin patch? I've, I've actually never visited a pumpkin patch because my kids were all too old. They missed this. So what can people expect? Describe to me what it is you have there. Uh, well, I'd say your kids are never too old anyway. That's the start, right? That's very because wise. <laughs> adults <laughs> enjoy it every day as much as kids. Even more. Fair. Um, no, this is only our second year now with a pumpkin patch. Like, two years, we never realised how popular it was. Two years ago, sort of, they were all booked out and we, we couldn't get any, we couldn't visit a patch ourselves. So we bought a few pumpkins just on the side of the road in an honesty box and we saved the seed and we planted them the following spring and had a huge amount of pumpkins, didn't know what to do with them and ended up just opening it up to the public and were blown away by the interest from people to pick their own pumpkins. And give me That's an idea crazy. in my head. I just need to see this. So how big is your pumpkin patch? Like, is it a, is it a, like a small area or a large area? Uh, I suppose we have three acres, maybe. About three acres. Kind of the size of the football pitch. Kind of maybe in around that size. Full of pumpkins? Full of pumpkins, yeah. Holy God. Well, that's yeah. a lot bigger now yeah. than I thought. And so when people come, obviously they're coming to buy pumpkins for Halloween to bring them home and to, to carve them and all that kind of stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, but it's more than that. Okay. It's, we have, you know, we provide, we do a bit of face painting. We have a small maze done with small square bales. We have a maze maze with actual corn, you know, that maze. We have maybe 50 round bales decorated. Uh, it, it, it's a whole even to pick your pumpkin these pumpkins are in the field growing so right. you go out with your kids or yourself and you pick your own pumpkins all different shapes and sizes and colours they're not just the typical one you'd buy in the supermarket you know this bright orange yes. pumpkin we have all all makes and shapes oh. and that's the kids the kids love to find a uh, an unusual one, a flat one or a green one or one that's green and yellow or a completely white one. Kids love that. that so these are the things These are the things that in the swanky supermarkets they call gourds, I think. You have your pumpkins and then yeah. you have your gourds. 
Yeah, we grow a combination of the two between pumpkins and gourds. Yeah. And come here, are pumpkins then easy to grow in this climate? Because they're not native to Ireland, I don't think, are they? They're not native, no, but they're relatively easy. Now, I suppose, look, this year was very wet. Well, it was dry at the start. We right. Irrigate them to get them started, to get them growing. And then it went from very dry to very wet. So I think bees and to try and get them to pollinate. They had these male and female flowers, so they had these pollinators. And we were iffy, will they, won't they? But they did, yeah. So we're looking. We have a nice crop. Weeds is a problem. You need plenty of help. Now, there is ways of getting rid of weeds, but weeds, so that's where you need free labour. The kids are, that's kids and friends and family. That's, that's where they come in. They so this is, the weeds. this is a whole family enterprise. Oh, this is, yeah, an extended family. <laughs> uh, there's cousins and anyone that comes to visit. Oh, come on down, we'll show you the pumpkins. And you can pick a Pull few a weeds few. while you're down there. <laughs> yeah, while you're down there, pick a few weeds. But look, any family or any cousins or friends that call, everyone wants to go down and see the pumpkins. You know, I suppose they are unusual crop in Ireland. And that's why I suppose people like to go and see them and pick them. And, and it's it's great. It's great for kids to see things like that growing because I think very often if you're in a supermarket and you see a big display of pumpkins, you presume, well, kids presume, obviously I don't presume, kids presume that they're kind of made in a factory or somewhere. You know, I think to see them actually growing in the ground is really important. Look, I was blown away. Two years ago when we started this, like it was my 12-year-old, you know, and it was his idea and his enterprise to do this and the wife as well Barbara Barbara here as well it was their idea to do this and I was a bit hesitant you were reluctant yeah but when I seen the interest and you know we had a few schools visits and special schools a group or two of those come and you know I'm looking at this stuff every day and I suppose I take it for granted you know playing with bales and all of this type of thing and it's nice to see kids come and enjoy themselves. And, you know, it's not overly commercialised. It's just a mucky field with pumpkins, painted bales, you know, face painting. And a few, like, a cousin of ours does the bale art. Oh. And, like, she's done a few, a few over the weekend there. And, like, I was just telling her I'd eat the bales before I'd be able to paint. <laughs> you know, Wouldn't advise it, that it, now. <laughs> but it's just amazing, you know, how artistic some people are. What they do with, you know, scarecrows and all of this type of thing. So it just brings the whole community together. God almighty. family and that. You your, your family sound as if they have that combination of enterprise with your son being the one who's driven this and uh, and uh, and artistic endeavour and creativity. Now listen, <laughs> you're located just outside Trim on the Kinnegad Road. Um, yeah. And when do you open for business? When can people start going? And do people need to book in advance or what's the story? Uh, yeah, look, to manage people. Originally last year, we didn't have people booking, but sure, we got overrun with people. Yeah. And we kind of got, a, we got afraid of the crowd that was coming. And uh, we kind of we were opening up the, the, the 7th and 8th from that weekend, the 7th, 8th, 14th, 15th, 21st, 22nd and the 28th. So every uh, weekend from the 7th of October? Practically, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do people uh, book? Do they have to give you a shout or have you a website or... Uh, Eventbrite is kind of the simplest. We're using Eventbrite. So you can book and, your and tickets on there. 
book the tickets on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. And would people be able to get like a cup of tea or coffee now, Mammy and Daddy, if they're going along? You know, they get a bit tired. Oh, yeah, yeah. There'll be tea and coffee and, and uh, keep the parents and, and I suppose little treats, buns and Fabulous. stuff to keep the parents. And we look after the face painting and send the kids into the maze and she might get lost. They might go back for an hour or two. Oh, and bliss. <laughs> and they'd be exactly. safe as safe as houses listen it sounds great uh, yeah, 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 I think yeah. I'm going to have to get myself to a pumpkin patch one of these days because as I say I have never been so I, I must I might I might pop up to you one day myself and have a look at what it's well, all about we'll give you a few free passes oh. a few free passes there you can do what you wish with them oh we you might find three families there now that's a great that's and lovely We'll, I'll talk to the producer about getting those out to people. That's that's terrific. Listen, it was lovely to talk to you and I wish you the very best of luck. I'm sure it'll be a great success again this year. And congratulations to all the family who are involved there on the pumpkin patch, which is uh, just outside of Trim on the Kinnegad Road and highly recommend it. And that's it again for today. Um, I don't know where the time goes when I'm here, but thank you for joining me. I'll be back here doing it all again tomorrow. And we are going to leave you with Jazzy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.